And now, Lindell TV brings you The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome, I'm Roger Stone, and yes, you are back in the Stone Zone. We start this evening with a personal note. My mother, Gloria Rose Corbo Stone, would have been 99 years old today. She passed at age 91, and a day does not go by in which I do not miss her. I'm praying for her, but more importantly, I hope that she is praying for me and for this nation. Perhaps her greatest thrill was meeting then businessman, later president, Donald J. Trump, uh, when I married my wife, Nydia Stone. So mom, I know you are in heaven with the Lord. God bless you uh, and pray for us here on earth and for this nation. Thank you for letting me take that personal moment. It's been kind of a difficult day because I miss her every single day. All right, uh, we are going to talk today about the fight over the Second Amendment. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, who is the wealthiest and one of the most powerful Democrat governors in the country, signed legislation on January 10th uh, that banned assault weapons uh, in Illinois, uh, one of just nine states to enact the strongest assault weapons ban in the country. More troubling, uh, by January 1st, 2024, 2.4 million gun owners in Illinois must register their firearms with the state or potentially uh, go to prison for felony charges. Here to help us break this down is Doug Mayall, who is the president uh, of the Illinois Rifle Association. Doug, welcome to the Stone Zone. Thank you so much. I'm very proud to be here. Uh, I should say uh, at the top uh, that the Illinois uh, Rifle Association is uh, marking its 120th anniversary of this year, making it one of the oldest and most respected pro-Second Amendment organizations in the country. So I salute you for uh, your leadership there. You've been a board member, you've been vice president, and now you serve as president. Uh, so we thank you for your service and for your support of freedom. Uh, break this down for us. What is J.B. Pritzker up to here? Well, he is making all law-abiding gun owners in Illinois basically criminals. There's 2.4 million Foyd card owners in Illinois, and I'm assuming probably 95% of them have uh, guns that will make us illegal. And uh, so by making this law, he's hoping that many people will give up their guns. He is then thinking that the people that won't will register their guns. And every time throughout history, somebody has had a gun registry, it is 
been then leading to confiscation of guns. So we'll either be confiscated or, or you'll want to put us in prison. And it, it's a, a terrible, terrible bill. And we're, we're, unfortunately, Illinois is stuck with it. So surely there are not 2.4 million assault weapons uh, in Illinois. So I think what you're telling us is that any firearm of any kind uh, owned by any private citizen would have to be registered with the state? Well, most rifles, many shotguns, and a bunch of pistols that are used for or revolvers that are used for home defense and, and concealed carry defense will be illegal. What won't be illegal are most revolvers, but a revolver only holds five or six shots, depending on it. And thugs often move in groups. And if there's five or six, five or six bullets in a revolver won't be enough to protect yourself. So it, it, the law just makes no sense. It's not going to, it's going to make law abiding people not be able to protect themselves. And unfortunately, what has happened yesterday with that Illinois is the only state in the country that now has a no cash bail. So when a criminal commits a crime, they go to the police station and they let them go with no cash bail. And they say, please come back to court on your assigned date. And how many of those criminals do you think are going to come back to court on their assigned date? I, I'm assuming probably 10 or 20 percent at most. Yeah, this is a, this is a slippery slope. We see this in New York State uh, where a cash bail is no longer required for some of the most heinous violent crimes. It is turnstile justice. It is responsible for a sharp spike in in uh, the crime rates, not only in New York City, uh, where the crime statistics are carefully manipulated, but also in the suburbs as well as upstate New York. It is, uh, it is a, a toxic mix, taking guns away from uh, law-abiding citizens. At the same time, you're eliminating cash bail. It's also my understanding that there's legislation right now on the governor's desk that allows non-citizen immigrants to become police officers and to carry a gun. Uh, that seems to me to be extraordinarily unwise. It is not a good idea for non-legal citizens of the state to own firearms, is it? I sure don't think so. Uh, to get a FOID card, I have to go through a, a fairly rigid background check. And how is a non-citizen going to be able to pass this background check? And then to take this farther, he's going to become a, a policeman who can arrest me if I don't register my guns. And then he is also going to be allowed to have a gun for his carry gun while he's working that I cannot as a citizen have. So a non-citizen is going to be able to have a gun that a law-abiding citizen like myself, who has never committed a crime other than a speeding ticket, to not have a gun. That is so far backwards. I, I just can't believe how crazy the state has become. Yeah, and, and uh, what, what's happening right now in the crime rates in terms of the city of Chicago, for example? Well, every uh, Monday at work, we all talk about all the shootings and all the murders in Chicago, and it just keeps going up and up and up. Uh, I, I have a, a very good friend who's a policeman, and he sent me an article yesterday, a, a notice yesterday in Harvey, six young people hijacked a car, they crashed it, 
They got caught. Four of them had handguns. And guess what? Not one of the four got charged. They were all dismissed. And yet they're going to make me, who's never broken a law, give up my guns or register them. Yeah, it's really quite incredible. So here's a political theory for you. J.B. Pritzker, uh, one of the wealthiest and most powerful Democratic governors in the country, uh, and who will be hosting the Democratic National Convention, who actually uh, said that he would pay for it out of his own multi-billion dollar fortune uh, if the party cannot raise enough money to sustain the convention in Chicago, uh, is beginning to think of himself as a presidential candidate. That's right, J.B. Pritzker, a man who has never missed a meal in his entire life, uh, is <laughs> sees the same thing that we see, uh, that, uh, that Joe Biden uh, is very clearly in failing health. He is having cognitive difficulties. Uh, he cannot string together a coherent sentence. He keeps falling down. He keeps making bizarre claims like his claim of several days ago that he was raised in the synagogues of Delaware. No one has any memory of that. Uh, Harkening back to a previous claim that he was raised in the Puerto Rican community of Delaware when he was elected to the Senate in 1972. There were approximately 2,000 Puerto Rican citizens in the state. No reference to them in any of his biographical material. Uh, This is the same Joe Biden who insists that he was arrested in civil rights demonstrations in the 1960s, but contradicts that in his biography, which he says that he never marched, he never protested. Although he was sensitive to the concerns of black citizens, he was not involved in the civil rights movement. Uh, This is the same Joe Biden who, the day after he returned from Ireland, said that he couldn't remember the last time he had been out of the country. Uh, The same Joe Biden, and this one I think is the most egregious of them all, who when he was with Gold Star families who had lost loved ones because of his policies in Afghanistan, said that he and his wife well remembered when they brought their son Bo's flag-draped coffin back from Iraq. The problem with that is uh, Bo Biden died of a brain tumor while serving as attorney general of the state of Delaware, and there was no connection to military service in his death. To me, that is the most heartless thing, uh, the most craven political posturing you can possibly mention. So I'm guessing that J.B. Pritzker sees, uh, Doug, what I think you and I see, which is between Joe Biden's uh, inability to perform on the stump, his inability to string together a coherent sentence, the increasing evidence that he lied repeatedly about his involvement and knowledge of his brother and his son's uh, international businesses, uh, combined with the horrific impact of his policies, the highest gasoline prices uh, in decades, understandable in view of the fact that he's essentially shut down all domestic drilling for gas or oil permits in this country, while simultaneously turning off the pipelines, guaranteeing that this nation is back to begging Venezuela or Russia uh, for oil, uh, unbelievable, Uh, the 76% increase in the cost of basic groceries, uh, epic inflation that is destroying the buying power uh, of the dollar for the average working family, uh, shipping billions of dollars, and presumably now that he's in town uh, hat in hand, billions more 
to Ukraine while we have 370,000 homeless veterans in this country, not to mention the impact of his open borders policy, uh, which is causing a crime uh, and drug epidemic across the country, not just in the cities like Chicago, but you can attest to this, crime now rising in the suburbs of Chicago. Some of the wealthiest uh, and most elite neighborhoods uh, surrounding Chicago are no longer safe. Uh, now, when you combine that with the epic corruption that has been exposed uh, before the House Republicans, despite Congressman Jerry Nadler trying to run point on one of the most ridiculous cover-ups of all time, uh, it, it's very clear to me, and I think to J.B. Pritzker, that the Democrats will be looking for a new candidate. So, uh, Doug, do you think Pritzker is maneuvering here on guns to get a national profile uh, while violating the rights of Illinois citizens in an effort to elevate his own political profile so that he would be considered for president or even vice president? I agree with you 100%. I think that is he that is his his goal is to be be the presidential nominee and I agree with you that Biden is uh, he's very badly wounded and, and I I personally don't think he will be the candidate and I don't think Harris will be the candidate and Pritzker is figuring he with his money and everything he's doing will become the candidate and the Democratic Party has turned from many of them being pro-gun to less and less of them pro-gun. And so he thinks he's going to have a rallying cry by saying, I'm very anti-gun and look what I did in Illinois and I can do this for the whole country. And that will be uh, one of his big, big things that he's going to uh, talk about. And by buying the, the, uh, the uh, Democrat uh, convention in Chicago, he's going to obviously have a the ability to be one of the uh, biggest talking candidates. Uh, biggest wasn't meant to be a pun, but uh, he, he will pre present his agenda and hopefully for him, he'll be the candidate. Yeah, now on uh, January 18th, 2023, the Illinois Rifle Association uh, filed a federal lawsuit opposing Governor Pritzker's uh, assault weapons ban as unconstitutional. Uh, what, what's the outlook for that lawsuit, Doug? Well, uh, we we filed and then we won a, a temporary uh, injunction and then we lost that. And now it is in the Seventh Circuit Court and we could get a uh, ruling on that any day or any week. And then, but no matter who wins or who loses that case, the next step is sending it to the U.S. Supreme Court. And we are very, very hopeful that they will take that case. And if they take it, um, we're hoping because of the, the way the court is set up now that we will actually win and we'll get our rights back. We won many, many years ago when we had the McDonald case that allowed us to get concealed carry in Illinois. And we were the very last state in the union to get concealed carry and it took the McDonald case several years ago through the procedures to get to the Supreme Court. And then when we won, Illinois had to give us concealed carry, so we got it. And then the Brune case in New York many months ago that also said that uh, guns in common use are allowed for protection. So that was very, very good for gun owners. And because the court ruled that way, we are hopeful that they will take this case 
and then we are very hopeful that we will then ultimately win and get our gun rights back. Because right now, as of January 1st, if we don't register or sell them, we will be felons. And uh, again, the worst I've ever gotten is a speeding ticket, and yet they're going to give uh, a non-citizen uh, the right to be a policeman to have a gun I can't own to arrest me. It's just, it's crazy. That is, that is does sound insane. Uh, perhaps a highly technical question, but one I'm going to ask nonetheless. How exactly does Pritzker define an assault weapon under his ban? Uh, pretty much nobody knows. Uh, I don't think Pritzker has any idea what an assault rifle is, and the legislator sure doesn't. And what they did when they made this ban, they listed 170 guns specifically. They have whole categories of firearms that are listed as illegal, like if it has a threaded barrel, if it has a, a hand, hand stock and things like that. And uh, one thing that's sort of ironic is a very common gun for hunting turkeys, a shotgun, has this handle, and that gun is now going to be illegal. So uh, I don't think they ever figured that is uh, a gun that's used in crime very often, but they included that gun. And uh, they, when you read the law, it's very, very confusing. And the Illinois State Police, it was either yesterday or the day before, I think it was the day before, they came out with their proposed rules for what, has to, what guns are to be registered and how they're registered and everything. And I think it's 31 pages, and I was looking through that, and I was very confused, and I know a little bit about guns and uh, how the average gun owner is going to be able to understand this is beyond comprehension. But I feel that probably is very much on purpose that they're trying to scare people that, geez, I'll just give up my guns and not worry about it anymore. I, I read very quickly through the ban as signed uh, by Governor Pritzker. Uh, it is very, very broadly and ambiguously worded, I think purposely so. So essentially any long rifle, uh, any shotgun, uh, any weapon uh, that is currently legally owned uh, would have to either be registered with the state, therefore the state knows exactly who has the guns. That's a very bad idea. Uh, these are law-abiding citizens. Recently I saw that uh, Jason Aldean visited Chicago for a concert. Uh, there was yeah. uh, a very substantial protest against him outside. Uh, and I was happy to see the Illinois State Rifle Association put out a strong statement. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, his song was uh, so strong emotionally that he's saying a small town is going to protect its own. We're going to gather around it, and it's like family. We're going to protect it. And uh, you're not going to do anything like that in a small town. And uh, if you believe that, it, it, it's what, what a great feeling it is. Just like you protect your own family, a small town will protect everyone in the town. And because of that, we offered him a complimentary life membership on it, uh, on the Illinois State Rifle Association, because his song exemplified what we believe in is uh, self-protection. And uh, we, we believe it very, very strongly, so we offered him this life membership. Yeah, I think you make a very key point here, which, of course, those in the media on the left continue to ignore. We want to retain our firearms for protection, not for offensive reasons, but for defensive reasons. 
so that any citizen has the right to protect themselves uh, and their families. Uh, it is uh, it, the Second Amendment, as some liberals say, is not reserved just for well-formed militias, but for every single citizen. Governor Pritzker's clearly politically motivated maneuvering to uh, grab the guns of Illinois citizens uh, to, or to at least know where all the guns are, which is equally disturbing as a notion, uh, is a political power play. Mr. Pritzker sees himself dining big time uh, in the White House. Uh, he sees the failing nature of Joe Biden, uh, and he thinks that his advocacy as a gun grabber will make him the toast of the liberal elite in the Democratic Party. Uh, final question, Doug. Tell us a little bit about the Illinois State Rifle Association. You've been around for 120 years. Uh, that is really uh, an incredible achievement. Tell us about the organization. Well, as you said, we've been around since 1903, which is 120 years. We have a five-star range near Kankakee, Illinois. And our main things that we do are education and training. And we want every gun owner to be a responsible gun owner. We want them to be a safe gun owner. And, and obviously we've had to get into politics to protect our gun rights. And we have uh, done more 20 some lawsuits and we have won almost every lawsuit that we filed. We have several active lawsuits right now. And the main one being the assault rifle one that we're trying to get eliminated. We also have a case where we're trying to get the FOID card eliminated. Illinois is one of the very few states who basically, instead of registering guns, they register people. And we feel that it being a right, that we should not have to have our names registered. And uh, that that is ongoing right now. So we're doing that. And we would love for people to get involved in helping us. Our website is www.isra.org. And if anybody would love to join or anybody would love to donate to help the cause, we would like that. There are 2.4 million FOID card owners in Illinois. And if we had 2.4 million people that belong to us and donated, there is no way that the legislator would dare try to pass any law like they did, because they would know they would get soundly uh, voted out in the next election. All right, I'm gonna repeat that for those of you who wanna grab a pen or a pencil. It is isra.org isra.org one more time isra.org that is the illinois state rifle association these folks have been in business protecting the second amendment for over 120 years uh doug has worked with them for 25 years doug i salute you for your service to your state uh, and your country and a special thanks to our good friend mark vargas for setting up this interview has been a great privilege to have you here in the stone zone well, it's been a great privilege to be on your show. I, I'm so thankful for you and for all that you are doing also. All right. God bless you. Uh, there you have it, folks. Uh, Doug Mayall with the Illinois State Rifle Association. If you live in Illinois uh, and you are a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, go to isra.org. That's isra.org, uh, the Illinois State Rifle Association one of the largest and most respected 
pro-Second Amendment organizations uh, in the nation, certainly the preeminent one in the state of Illinois. Uh, you can join there. You can also send a contribution. Let me point out that these lawsuits, including the lawsuit challenging this law signed by ultra-liberal J.B. Pritzker, uh, which essentially has the effect of requiring every gun owner uh, in the state, uh, exempting those who have revolvers, I guess, from registering with the state, uh, lest they risk uh, being charged with a felony, uh, as well as these other legal challenges that Doug mentions. Lawsuits are expensive. Lawyers are not cheap, but they are fighting for the right. So please go to isra.org now. Uh, you can join if you're a, a, a firearms enthusiast. Uh, if you are uh, want to exercise your Second Amendment rights in the state of Illinois, and even if you are not a gun owner and don't plan to become a gun owner, you can still make a generous contribution uh, to support uh, those who are fighting for the Second Amendment. I want to thank uh, Doug for joining us today on the show. Uh, in a breaking news item, Cassidy Hutchison, uh, who served as a top aide to White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows has come forward to say that on January 6th, Mayor Rudy Giuliani sexually groped her backstage before his speech on the ellipse. The question I have to ask is an obvious one. Why did Cassidy Hutchison wait two and a half years to come forward with this shocking allegation? Unfortunately for Ms. Hutchison, this is not the first time that she's been caught lying. First of all, if you go back and look, she initially denied uh, many of the things that she later said under oath before the committee. So was she lying then when she wouldn't cooperate with the January 6th committee, or is she lying now? As far as I'm personally concerned, uh, she lied in her testimony under oath before the committee. Let's take a look at this clip for a second. The night before January 6th, President Trump instructed his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to contact both Roger Stone and Michael Flynn regarding what would play out the next day. Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that President Trump asked Mark Meadows to speak with Roger Stone and General Flynn on January 5th? That's correct. That is my understanding. And Ms. Hutchinson, is it your understanding that Mr. Meadows called Mr. Stone on the 5th? I'm under the impression that Mr. Meadows did complete both a call to Mr. Stone and General Flynn the evening of the 5th. And do you know what they talked about that evening, Ms. Hutchinson? I'm not sure. Is it your understanding that Mr. Giuliani, Mr. Eastman, and others had set up what has been called, quote, a war room at the Willard Hotel on the night of the 5th? I was aware of that the night of the 5th. And do you know if Mr. Meadows ever intended to go to the Willard Hotel on the night of the 5th? Mr. Meadows had a conversation with me where he wanted me to work with Secret Service on a movement from the White House to the Bullard Hotel so he could attend the meeting or meetings with Mr. Giuliani and his associates in the war room. And what was your view as to whether or not Mr. Meadows should go to the Willard that night? I had made it clear to Mr. Meadows that I didn't believe it was a smart idea for him to go to the Willard Hotel that night. I wasn't sure everything that was going on at the Willard Hotel, although I knew enough about what 
Mr. Giuliani and his associates were pushing during this period. I didn't think that it was something appropriate for the White House Chief of Staff to attend or to consider involvement in. I made that clear to Mr. Meadows. Throughout the afternoon, he mentioned a few more times going up to the Willard Hotel that evening and then eventually dropped the subject the night of the 5th and said that he would dial in instead. All right, so all of that is false as far as I am concerned. I've also checked with my good friend, General Michael Flynn. Neither one of us uh, was ever in any war room uh, or any meeting of any kind in the Willard Hotel. Uh, I was not involved, nor was General Flynn, in uh, Mayor Giuliani and the efforts by others to delay the certification uh, of the Electoral College in the U.S. Senate. As a non-lawyer, I still believe that that was a legal proceeding, uh, but I was not involved in it. I have never spoken to Mark Meadows or communicated with him in any way, certainly not on the 5th or the 6th or any other occasion. I did meet him once, I think, in a green room at Fox Television years ago. So both her claim that it is her understanding, notice the parsing of words, uh, that President Trump uh, instructed Meadows to call Stone and Flynn, and it is her, quote, impression that those calls were completed. It's a lie. It's a perjurous lie. Uh, I know that from my own knowledge. Now, she didn't say, I heard the president instruct Mark Meadows. Notice that small double hearsay on her part. So if Cassidy Hutchison uh, lied about this, how do we know she's not lying about Mayor Rudy Giuliani? And why did she wait two and a half years to say this? Oh, I see. She's, writing, she's written and she's publishing a book. And her book will be on sale shortly. How convenient. I think the piling on on Rudy Giuliani is one of the most disgraceful things that I have ever seen. Rudy Giuliani is a true American hero. He not only cleaned up New York City as mayor when others said that that was an impossible task, when New York City was destined to be a dirty, dangerous, and economically unviable place. Uh, he also showed incredible leadership in the immediate wake of 9-11, uniting the city, the state, and indeed the people of the country uh, in those very dark days. All Rudy Giuliani has done in his role as an attorney is zealously represent his client, President Donald Trump. And for that, they seek to crucify him, meaning they seek to destroy him personally, financially, and if they can, send him to prison. Rudy Giuliani is a great man. I don't believe Cassidy Hutchison, based on her previous lies. Now, at the time of those January 6 hearings, largely of which was a kabuki theater, uh, where manipulated videos of me were also featured, uh, I wrote extensively denying all of those claims by Hutchison. Uh, it's on the public record, but of course, that did not stop MSNBC from recycling them only two weeks ago. So uh, our best wishes to uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani. For those who want to help Mayor Giuliani, you can go to RudyGiulianiFreedomFund.com, RudyGiulianiFreedomFund.com. I'm going to give you a moment to grab that pen or that pencil one more time, RudyGiulianiFreedomFund.com, uh, to help this great American patriot. They seek to destroy him. Uh, I seek to do everything I possibly can to help him. 
He was one of the few people who stood with me when I was unjustly and wrongly accused of Russian collusion, of which there was no evidence whatsoever. And now it is our obligation to stand up for this great American patriot, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, I do want to take this opportunity to tell you that uh, I'm a coffee drinker. Uh, make no bones about it. In the morning, I need a brisk, robust, bracing, smooth cup of coffee. And I looked around to find the right coffee, uh, tried the local Publix supermarket, tried ordering certain brands of coffee online. I didn't find a coffee that was really satisfying until I finally found my coffee. And ironically, it's called My Coffee. And it's available at mystore.com. We're going to let Mike Lindell tell you about it right now. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, mystore.com. And when I tried My Coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence. And this family-owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever going to have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery, or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. And I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. When Mike Lindell says this is the most satisfying cup of coffee you've ever had, he's not kidding. So please go to mystore.com. You can go to mypillow.com and there's a link there for mystore.com or you can go directly to mystore.com and be sure to order my coffee. Please remember to use promo code STONE when you do so. Excellent. All right, uh, so uh, I do want to uh, take your questions today. Uh, we are open uh, at, uh, at Rumble Live Chat. Uh, we also will take your questions online at AskStone uh, at StoneZone.com. That's AskStone at StoneZone.com. So uh, you can ask any question about politics, uh, news, history, culture. You can email your questions right now to AskStone at StoneZone.com, or you can ask your questions at Rumble Live Chat. 
Uh, our show has really taken off at Rumble. Uh, we ask you to subscribe to the show on Rumble. Uh, there we are at rumble.com slash Roger Stone. Uh, we had our biggest show ever last Friday uh, when we focused on the new revelations regarding the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. So we're grateful for the folks at Rumble. Uh, but the show is seen on many platforms. Of course, our home base here at frankspeech.com, where we are now on Lindell TV One. Uh, you can also watch us at uh, Telegram live streaming, uh, X live streaming, formerly known as Twitter, uh, and several other platforms, including Cozy.tv, Odyssey, and many others. If you want to see where you can watch the Stone Zone, go to stonezone.live, stonezone.live, uh, and uh, you can see a complete menu of all your platform uh, options. Uh, but we appreciate uh, our growing audience here uh, at uh, the Stone Zone. Here is uh, our first question is from Alexis uh, in uh, San Antonio, Texas, who asks, um, Laura Loomer uh, reported that Governor Ron DeSantis lied in the last debate about a gold star mom in Texas. Can you tell us what this is all about? Yes, as a matter of fact, I can. Uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, in his answer to a question regarding the security of our border, said falsely that he had met with an angel mom uh, in, uh, named Tracy in Texas, uh, whose son, a military veteran, uh, had died because he took a Tylenol, which turned out to be laced uh, with fentanyl. Um, I believe this story is a complete and total fabrication. Um, Tracy Laporte stepped forward. She is not an angel mom. She is a gold star mom. Uh, that is because her son, who is a decorated military hero uh, who saw service for his country, was tragically killed uh, in a motorcycle accident prior to going on a new deployment. Uh, and therefore, I believe this entire story has been fabricated. Tracy Laporte uh, came on this show. Uh, and told her entire story. Uh, and uh, Governor DeSantis owes uh, Tracy Laporte uh, and all of the Gold Star and Angel Moms an apology. Now, because uh, Tracy Laporte uh, has worked very hard uh, to enact legislation that would prevent those who don't have a valid driver's license from renting a car or renting a vehicle in Texas, her son having been killed by someone who is driving illegally, she has worked very hard uh, on her own uh, to lobby a number of Texas politicians, including uh, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz. So we believe that Governor DeSantis, seeking cheap political points, appropriated Tracy's story while mangling the story. You can go to my Rumble channel and see uh, my incredible interview uh, with Tracy Laporte. This has caused her great anguish, uh, she and members of her family, but I'm happy to have the opportunity to set the record straight. Alex, we thank you so much for your question. Uh, let's see, uh, James Mills, uh, Colorado Springs says, I loved your hit on Newsmax with Greg Kelly last night. Mr. Stone, you're really a walking encyclopedia. You mentioned that Obamagate makes Watergate look like small potatoes. Would you please break down the CIA's involvement in the Watergate coup. Uh, that was a great piece last night. We're going to show it to you in a minute. 
uh, I was invited to go on with Greg Kelly, uh, son of a, one of America's, uh, New York's greatest police, uh, police commissioners, but also an incisive analyst uh, and journalist in his own right to uh, talk about the larger issue of uh, the U.S. Senate relaxing the dress code to accommodate John Fetterman, a man who thinks he should be able to conduct U.S. Senate business while wearing baggy basketball shorts, uh, a, a baggy a t-shirt, uh, and a generous hoodie on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Now, the U.S. Senate is not a gym, uh, it is not a basketball court, and it is not an outdoor recreational park. Uh, I think this is an insult on uh, and a uh, and a, a disrespecting of the uh, of the uh, the traditions of the U.S. Senate uh, and the proper decorum for U.S. senators. And let's be very clear: we are just relaxing the dress code for members of the U.S. Senate. So, in other words, if you work for the Senate, uh, you uh, are still required as a staff member, if you're a man, to wear a jacket and tie, a suit and tie, or jacket and tie. Uh, and if you are a member of the staff and a woman, you're still required to wear a dress. But if you're a U.S. senator, you can now dress like a slovenly slob like uh, John Fetterman. I think this is an insult to the Senate. I think it's an insult to the uh, to the the institution. And I think it is also an insult to his constituents back in Pennsylvania. Two part question. Yeah, it's a two part question here. Uh, why don't we do this? Let's run the clip and then I will talk about it. Here I am last night on Newsmax with Greg Kelly. Well, you've seen this guy Fetterman around, right? Wearing hoodies and shorts at the United States Senate. It is the strangest thing in the world. Uh, and now they've adjusted the rules to accommodate him. I know you heard about this, but I really need to take uh, one of the best dressed politicos around, Roger Stone. Man, this guy has great clothes and great style. Custom made from head to toe. Roger Stone joins us once again. Welcome back, sir. How are you? Greg Kelly, great to be with you. You are a sharp dressed man. I mean, just generally speaking, for them to throw out the dress code, it, it offends me. How do you feel? Yeah, it's unprofessional. Uh, it's inappropriate. Uh, it's a violation of the decorum of the U.S. Senate. We have a dress code that's been in place for 200 years, and it's being relaxed, let's face it, because one member wants to wear droopy basketball shorts, a baggy t-shirt, and a roomy hoodie to conduct U.S. Senate business. I think it's an insult to the Senate. I think it is disrespectful to his constituents. I think it is disrespectful to the other senators. I really think it is disgusting, to be honest with you. What about, you know, in society in general, post-COVID, you know, like 2% of the population are wearing, you know, what you and I are wearing, actually, a suit and tie. You know, the hoodies, the uh, the vests at work. It's, it's casual Friday every day. What does that mean? What is that going to do to us? Is it bad? Is it good? Is it neutral? Uh, I, I think it's bad. I think it's a relaxing of standards at a time when we need to be lifting our standards. Uh, in, in all honesty, this is a trend because when President Zelensky addressed a joint session of Congress, he showed up in a military-grade sweatshirt. At least when Winston Churchill addressed both houses of Congress, he was in an impeccably cut British suit. Uh, it, it is it is a dumbing down of the entire system. Uh, I think it's disgraceful. Is there something deeper going on here? Something Maoist, something communist? I want to show you 
Fetterman, back when he was lieutenant governor of, uh, drop the banner if you would, of Pennsylvania, uh, this shirt looks like he got it from, you know, a jail, from prison, right? This is his official photo. And there is something about communism and socialism that, you know, egalitarian, everybody is equal, no status whatsoever, you know, the proletariat. Is there something deeper possibly going on here? Well, there's also a certain elitism about it, uh, Greg, because this relaxing of the dress code is only for U.S. senators. So, And it's not like a senator can come to the floor in a jacket or a sports coat or a tie with an open shirt. We're talking about senators now can choose to wear anything whatsoever they want. But U.S. Senate staff members who work on the floor, the gentlemen are still required to wear a jacket and a tie, and the women are still required to wear a dress. So it is rules for thee, but not for everyone else. So uh, give us a, your take where things are right now. Donald Trump, 50, 60 points ahead on the Republican side, beating Joe Biden in some polls. Um, did you ever think we'd be in this position a year ago? Uh, Donald Trump is a natural phenomena. Uh, I think people have seen through the lawfare being waged against him. Uh, they're also, I think, pining for the old Trump policies when we had the lowest gasoline prices, uh, low inflation, the respective nations around the world, uh, no new foreign wars. So the Trump years look better and better in the rearview mirror, and people want to move back to the future with Donald Trump. I, he's, he's going to be nominated. The nomination contest is essentially over. And despite the fake news attacks on him, he continues to narrowly Joe Biden in both the trial heats nationally and in the swing states. This, this is looking very, very good for the America First movement. Since he hasn't kind of locked up so early, I know he can't take his foot off the gas, but what should he be doing? What could he be doing now um, that somebody who was in the fight of his life for the nomination, you know, couldn't do? Planning for the new administration, planning for the general election. You know, this is a unique opportunity to do something different. Well, look, he's been put out these Agenda 47 policy positions that he reduces to a video. They're really excellent, but they're not getting the public attention I think they should. Uh, I love Truth Social, but I'd like to see him do what he did with his mugshot and go back to X, formerly known as Twitter, because the policy stuff he's putting out for economic growth, for energy independence, uh, and foreign policy are really excellent. I think he needs to speak to a broader audience, a general election audience. Yeah, I always thought that if he started talking to them, not changing his message, but so many people have lied about Trump, talk to them, look, if you are on the left, you have nothing to fear from me. I will work for you. I am not this, I am not what they say. I think that could go a long way somehow. Richard Nixon, 1973, the Watergate uh, hearing started, the impeachment inquiry started in the fall of 1973. You know, you and I are both big time Nixon fans and a lot of things are misunderstood about Watergate. But I can say this, there was no smoking gun at the beginning of Watergate, but there was one to emerge just before he had to resign. And I think the same thing could happen with Joe Biden. What do you make of that? I think it's entirely possible. If you look at the the infractions of Watergate and compare it to Obamagate, which is nothing less than the full use of the authority of the United States government and the capability of our intelligence agencies to illicitly, illegally try to remove a duly elected president, this makes Watergate look like small potatoes, in all honesty. Uh, and had there been an alternative media, had there been social media and an internet in 1973, I think Richard Nixon might have survived 
because it would have given a base for which to launch a counterattack. Donald Trump has done this masterfully, and he will continue to do so. Uh, you got to go to the Stone Zone, stonezone.com, and you got one of the best Watergate books out there. By the way, they're trying to make hay out of, um, you know, statements you made after the election. You were just brainstorming with somebody about the Electoral College. I'm not, I'm sure you're aware. I can't believe that they're trying to make that somehow, you know, an, a wrong thing to do, that you can't write ideas yeah. down about the Electoral College. You know about this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let's just be very clear. Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution grants to the state legislatures the authority to award the state electors based on the outcome of the popular vote in the individual states. That's historically, legally, and constitutionally correct. I did say that if it was up in the air on election night, if it was undecided, that Trump should declare victory. That's the same advice that James A. Baker III gave George W. Bush. It's the same exact advice that Joseph P. Kennedy gave his son, Senator Joe Kennedy. Uh, it's political maneuvering, nothing illegal or seditious about it. I did not say if Donald Trump lost, he should declare victory. That's not what I said. Yeah, uh, so much uh, fake news and misinformation about that. Well, StoneZone.com, check it out. Roger Stone, privileged to have you here once again. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. We'll be right back. that opportunity to clarify what has really been a smear against me. I very definitely said correctly uh, that under Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution, the state legislatures have the authority to grant the electoral college votes to a presidential candidate based on the popular vote of that state. That is, as I said, legally, constitutionally, and historically correct. You notice nowhere did I mention the word fake electors. It's not what I was speaking about at all. And then for those who say, oh, you see, Stone said on a video that if Trump lost, he should declare victory. Again, watch the video. Not at all what I said. What I said, if the question was in doubt, if it was undecided and still up in the air, that yes, Trump should declare victory. That is, as I point out, the same advice that Secretary of State James A. Baker gave to George W. Bush in 2000. It is the same advice that Ambassador Joseph P. Kennedy uh, gave to his son, Senator John F. Kennedy, uh, who later became President of the United States. Uh, the, again, uh, I did not say if Trump lost, he should declare victory. There is indeed a lot of fake news out there. Uh, James, to go back to your question, uh, could you break down the CIA's involvement in the Watergate coup? Yes, absolutely. We now know on the basis of recently declassified documents that the Central Intelligence Agency was well aware of the plan to break into the Watergate, uh, specifically into the Democratic National Committee headquarters, that they infiltrated uh, the Watergate burglar squad, that four of the eight Watergate burglars were still actively on the Central Intelligence Committee payroll, uh, agency payroll, and were reporting uh, to uh, their handlers. Uh, there is no question that the Watergate special prosecutor was aware of the Central Intelligence Agency role uh, in the Watergate break-in. That has now been confirmed uh, by these declassified documents, but uh, they never brought this to the attention of the public. Uh, and in fact, the minority on the Senate Watergate Committee was even prevented from publishing uh, a minority report, including the involvement of the CIA. Uh, I do believe, to go to your second part of your question, 
uh, that those same institutions are responsible for the murder of John F. Kennedy, are responsible for the silent coup against uh, Richard Nixon, uh, who attempted a coup against Ronald Reagan around Iran-Contra, and were responsible for both the Russian collusion hoax uh, and the two completely bogus impeachment attempts against Donald Trump are the same deep state entities. They may not be the same individuals, but they are the same interests. It is the permanent two-party duopoly, referred to by President Dwight Eisenhower as the military-industrial complex, known to us today as the deep state. Uh, and uh, we continue uh, to fight them to this day. James, thank you so much for your question uh, and the opportunity to play that great clip. Uh, uh, Estefania Salazar in Miami wants to know, where can I buy your new American Hero water bottle? My girls and I would love to piss off some snowflakes at the gym. Thank you for keeping up the good fight. Uh, well, I thank you very much for your question. Uh, we do have a new uh, water bottle available uh, for the gym. You can go to stonezone.com in the shop, stonezone.com. You can also order while you are there. Uh, my book, uh, Stone's Rules, uh, with a generous introduction by my good friend, Tucker Carlson. So you can either go to stonezone.com and go in the shop, or you can go to stonesrulesbook.com, stonesrulesbook.com, no apostrophe, stonesrulesbook.com, uh, and get uh, this terrific book. This is a book, uh, there it is on the screen. Uh, you get an autographed copy of Stone's Rules. Uh, this is a book uh, that is suitable for any uh, young man or young woman, uh, regardless uh, of your avocation, whether you are in tech, uh, whether you are in agriculture, whether you are in fashion, whether you're in entertainment, whether you're in retail, regardless of your occupation, these are the hard lessons that I have learned in 40 years in the arena. Uh, so either go to uh, stonesrulesbook.com uh, or go to stonezone.com and order your autographed copy today. Uh, I have a question here from Alex uh, in, uh, in Port Royal, I guess this is, uh, oh, pardon me, uh, Front Royal, Virginia, who asks, is it true uh, that Governor Ron DeSantis kicked Tucker Carlson's dog? Uh, I am a 30-year friend of Tucker Carlson. I have not had an opportunity to ask him whether this story is true. It is widely reported, but let me say that I would not be shocked to learn that it is true, uh, and I will make you this promise. I will seek confirmation and report back to you here on the Stone Zone as soon as I get either a confirmation or a denial. Uh, second part of that question. Uh, we have, I answered that question. No, no, this part of it. I answered that question. Okay, so um, I, had, I think we're just about out of time. I want to remind you uh, yet again to please subscribe uh, to our Rumble channel. Uh, we're going to put that address back up for you one more time. Uh, we're growing on Rumble. It's a great platform. There it is, rumble.com slash Roger Stone. Uh, and uh, a final question, uh, which we have about two minutes for, um, what do you think Robert Kennedy will do? Do you think uh, that he will continue in the Democratic Party or whether he will seek to get on the ballot as an independent. Uh, this, I'm going to hazard a guess here. I think that uh, Robert Kennedy is a very smart guy, handles himself extraordinarily well. He's very knowledgeable. 
think it has finally dawned on him and his advisors that the Democratic Party process is rigged. And I think right now they are ascertaining uh, the monumental challenge of getting on the ballot as an independent. Remember that the laws uh, pertaining to ballot access were written by Republicans and Democrats working together to keep minor and independent candidates off the ballot and limit voters' chances, uh, choices. So um, it is a Herculean task, both financially, in terms of manpower, uh, legally highly technical and extraordinarily difficult. Uh, and it will always be challenged in court by either the Democrats or the Republicans or both. Uh, but I think uh, that uh, Robert Kennedy will make a decision on this soon, uh, but I'm not going to predict exactly what I think that decision will be. Again, I have no particular inside knowledge. Those are my observations as a 45-year veteran of American politics. All right, we are out of time for today. I'm Roger Stone. This has been The Stone Zone. We're here at 4 o'clock Central, 5 o'clock Eastern, five days a week. Uh, coming up on my WABC radio show this weekend, Cash Patel, former senior counsel to the House Intelligence Committee, uh, joins me to talk about his lawsuit against the Department of Justice because it turns out they were spying on him during the time he was investigating Russiagate. Uh, and also Garrett Ziegler of MarcoPoloUSA.org, uh, the organization, the nonprofit that has uh, publicized uh, and educated the public about Hunter Biden's laptop now being sued by Hunter Biden and his high-priced lawyers. You can listen to all of that at wabcradio.com from 3 to 5 this Sunday coming up. In the meantime, God bless you and Godspeed. You're watching Lindell TV. I'm excited to announce that you've all made MyPillow 2.0 a huge success. And with your amazing support, we've been able to expand MyPillow's USA manufacturing and jobs. And to make room for this, we're clearing out a line of our percale bed sheets. And to thank you, I'm bringing them to you at closeout prices. Use your promo code and you get my king size for only $39 a set. Queens, $35, Fulls, $29, and twin size, just $25. I'm interrupted this commercial to let you know that we've received the last two shipments of these percale bed sheets and because of this i've been able to add more colors sizes and even prints and they're still at closeout prices so go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen now use your promo code and you'll get my king size only 39 dollars a set queens 35 dollars full 29 dollars and twin size just 25 dollars order now 